As I and many have said many times before, the Christian life is a life of mission. There's nothing about our Christian life that's not mission. Everything we do is related and plays a part in our total mission. Our life as Christians is on mission firstly through the daily liturgy of the church, then through catechesis, our, our growing in faith and instruction, through instruction, and then through pastoral care of the members of our congregation and the pastoral care we offer to the rest of the world through our outreach. And finally, in the fifth sense of mission, is seeking that harmony of presence within Tazewell County, our, har our harmony of being here, a presence that evangelizes. Just our very being here, when we find the right mix, proclaims the gospel. So those five dimensions of mission are all five different ways of talking about love and loving the world and loving God. They are five dimensions of love that are but a continuance and extension of the sacred life and the sacred humanity of Jesus Christ. After all, he came to save the world by teaching the right way to love. That was his mission. Before his incarnation, the chosen people of Israel, as well as the rest of the world, did not know the right way to love, the right understanding, and the right way to practice that love. They had hints, and they weren't all wrong, but they didn't have the fullness of the teaching of how to love until Jesus Christ was incarnate, born of a woman, and until he died for the world and the sins of the world on the cross. That was his mission. And through the cross, he fulfilled the, the, the deepest and most profound understanding of love by emptying himself. And what did he empty himself of? He emptied himself of his sacred humanity. And if he emptied it of himself, he gave it to all of us. He gave his sacred humanity to his body. That's his gift. And when we receive the gift, we embody his sacred humanity. That through receiving, embracing, and embodying his sacred humanity, we truly learn how to love the creatures of the world as he loved them and loves them. So much so that our loving of the creatures of the world is in fact Jesus loving through us. I think that is the significance of Jesus first appearing to St. Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday morning as a gardener. That as we grow in the life of the Spirit, our disposition towards the world is that of a gardener. To be loving, watchful stewards of the growing of God's Holy Spirit in the world. Watering 
the growth of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of people in whom he is growing to be gardeners. The message in our first lesson of Moses to the people of Israel could be summarized that despite the appearances that loving God is actually impossible, despite appearances and perceptions that loving God is something we cannot do, Moses' message is, folks, we can do this. Now, they had good reason, I suppose, for thinking that it was impossible, because over the 40 years of their wilderness experience, they, they failed all the time, constantly, repeatedly. They tried. They said they were going to try. Well, you know, trying is good, but sometimes trying isn't good enough. And they failed and failed and failed and failed. And so I imagine at some point they threw up their hands and said, Moses, we can't do what you're actually asking us to do. But he said, actually, you can. We can obey the voice of the Lord our God, he said. We can keep his commandments and keep his statutes. That promise of Moses that we can obey the voice of God was fulfilled and demonstrated through Jesus. Because of Jesus, we do know how to love God, and we can. Because it's a gift to each and every one of us that comes in our baptism. Jesus, his gift in offering his sacred humanity to the world, made known the kingdom of God to the world. And for those called, he opened up his sacred humanity for us to enter in, much like he opened up the tomb on Sunday morning, 2,000 years ago, the first Easter for people to enter in. He opened up his sacred humanity for those called to enter in and embody his sacred humanity, and in doing so, our lives are transformed into his life, or the process of that begins. As Christians, we need not concern ourselves with being successful. That's a teaching that is so important. And it comes to us from St. Teresa of Calcutta. Her teaching is, we don't have to worry about being successful. Because after all, any success that comes from our activities is through no efforts immediately and only of our own, but it's entirely because God offered the success and made it happen. But what we are responsible for doing is not being successful, but with being faithful. We need not worry about accomplishing some outrageous feat. That was Moses' teaching also in the first lesson. He used metaphorical language, like you don't have to worry about climbing up into heaven. I, I, that, that reminded me of the, the old myth of Icarus, who tried to fly too close to the sun. We don't have to do that. That myth is wrong. Or we don't have to go beyond the sea and come back. 
That reminded me of Odysseus in the the old Homer story of the, the the Iliad and the Odyssey. We don't have to do that either. The stuff of heroism like that is often depicted in science fiction films or in comic books or graphic novels. But that's not the Christian heroism. It's never been. The Christian heroism is first and foremost a domestic heroism. In our homes, an everyday heroism of turning to God with all of our heart and with all of our soul in our homes and to obey the voice of the Lord our God every day in our homes. That's harder to do than people might think. There's so many distractions in our life today. Well, the lawyer, as they are wont to do, asks the pertinent question. I can say that because my father's a lawyer and I grew up with lawyers. And who is my neighbor? He asks in kind of a legalistic way, I think we have to assume. But it is the pertinent question because that's the question for us to ask as well. And the reason to ask it is, again, owing to the fact that we have been seeking to understand over the last several Sundays how God is present in our lives. And it is true that He is present through all that is good and true and beautiful in the world. All of that. Anything that's good, true, or beautiful is of God. It's one of the basic ways for us to understand His presence. Another of the basic ways is when we look back in our life and we, we realize that we had a peak or mountaintop moment. God is... It's not hard often, actually, to recognize God present in a, in a truly peak or mountaintop moment in our life. And when we're able to do so, to look back in our life upon those... the opposite kind of moments, those low, down-in-the-valley, beat-down-by-life moments... And when we're honest with ourselves, we can find God in those moments too. God basically saying, you're going the wrong direction, dude. He, of course, is also present in everyday ways, like through his generosity that people offer to us or that we offer to others, because that's God's generosity. Yet I think the question, who is my neighbor, invites perhaps the most adventurous way to discover God's presence in the everyday world. Adventurous and also the most difficult. Now before it means anything else, the the words loving our neighbor mean this. That God is as present in our neighbor as he is present in a saint. It means that God is as present in our enemy as he is present in any saint. And that's hard sometimes to swallow. The easiest and lowest hanging fruit sort of example of that is if you happen to hate or or if you happen to strongly dislike the president of the United States, whomever it may be in a given moment, and it looks like about half the country strongly dislikes and half the country strongly loves, no matter who is in office. 
But if you happen to be in the 50% that strongly dislike the president, well, it's hard to sometimes recognize that God is as present in his heart as he is in any saint. But it's true. And I think that's the deepest and most profound interpretation of the, of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of course, yes, we're not to ignore people's suffering. We're not to ignore people who need help. We're not to ignore those who feel lonely and feel abandoned. Yes, yes, and a thousand times yes. But the, it bears asking why. Why are we not to ignore such people? It's because in the suffering, in those that need help, and in those people who are lonely, it is Jesus suffering, Jesus needing help, and Jesus lonely. It is Jesus that we serve when we serve people who are lonely, suffering, and in need of help. It's Jesus who was the Good Samaritan, and it was Jesus who helped him. Reflecting on this parable, I think that we need to see that our relationship with our neighbors, those we like and those we don't like, neighbors near and neighbors far, our relationship with our neighbors is our surest test of our faith in Jesus and faith in Christ. Let me say that again. Our relationship with our neighbors is our surest test of our faith in Christ. In other words, how our real faith shows up in how we treat people. A famous saint of the church, St. Catherine of Siena, wrote these words. You test the virtue of patience in yourself when your neighbors insult you. Your humility is tested by the proud. Your faith by the unfaithful, your hope by the person who has no hope, your justice is tried by the unjust, your compassion by the cruel, and your gentleness and kindness by the wrathful. Furthermore, she said, your neighbors are the channel through which all of your virtues are tested and all of your virtues come to birth. And likewise, as the evil give birth to all their vices through their neighbors. Our relationship with our neighbors is the surest test of our faith in Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I will say, and I will admit, that when you think about it, even for a moment, loving a God who is beyond time and beyond space, beyond the conditions that we know, indeed often does seem rather difficult and impossible. Because we're so burdened by our frailty and human nature. That's, by the way, the meaning in the Eucharistic canon when we say we're unable to offer thee any sacrifice owing to our manifold sins. It's simply a statement of reality. If we think we can, we don't really have the right understanding of God who has made all things visible and invisible. 
So it does seem impossible. We can identify with the people of Israel who were complaining to Moses that we just can't do this. And yet, I think this is why God, in His providence, has chosen to put us among our neighbors here in Tazewell County and our neighbors in the state of Illinois, the, st- the, the, the area of the Midwest, the United States, and Earth at this time and place. Why God has chosen to put us here is so that we can do for them what we cannot do for Him. That is, to love them without any concern for thanks, without looking for any profit whatsoever for ourselves. We can do that. And the teaching of Jesus is that whatever we do for our neighbors, Jesus will consider done for him. All of that is simply a fancy way of saying, our mission is always a mission of love.